0: Welcome to Campfire Convos in the Play Connection on the Clubhouse audio platform. Campfire Convos is a weekly discussion led by Jonathan Pampel, one of Mastermind Adventures Professional Dungeon Masters. Mastermind Adventures is a team of creative professionals dedicated to conquering isolation and loneliness by building community through play. This is an informal conversation with folks who facilitate, design, or play tabletop role-playing games. Join us live every Wednesday. This week's discussion is about villains in tabletop role-playing games. We hope you enjoy it.
1: I'm John. I'm a pro GM with Mastermind Adventures, and I do a whole bunch of I, I write a bunch of my old my own content. and developing like villains and stuff in my campaigns is one of my favorite parts of writing a new world or writing a new campaign. I find the subject absolutely fun because, I, I get to kind of look at my players like raw meat instead of the people they are.
2: Uh I can go ahead. Uh hey everyone, Ethan Myers. Uh I am a DM with uh, my own brand lives for hire and uh, I play mostly gothic horror, cosmic horror, uh like medieval fantasy games and D&D and Blades in the Dark and Pathfinder and stuff. I also like making villains although um yeah, I I think that they add a lot to the story but I, I tend to focus more on themes so i always want to make a villain that fits whatever theme or tone the campaign is trying to fit so like if the if the theme of the of the campaign is established as being something that's like like discrimination and anti-discrimination then i'll i'll make a villain that sort of reflects those those undercurrents
1: Ethan, you've kind of hit at the heart of like i had these bullet points i have like on this google doc sitting next to me i'm like hey, let's talk about where we start with our villains. You know, like, do you start with the motivation, the look, his, their deeds, you know? And the theme is one of the things I had right there. So, like, you, you're you ahead of the conversation, man. You're, like, you're ahead of your time by at least 10 minutes.
3: So, how's it going? I'm Rob. Uh, I'm also a pro GM with Mastermind. Um, I'm going to be quiet for the first, like, 10 minutes or so because I'm driving, and it's uh, kind of a pain in the ass to use the app while driving. Uh, so... I will join in the conversation shortly
4: though. I'm not a GM, but I get to enjoy Jonathan's villains often. And play test his stuff.
1: Yeah, Bri is kind of my first playtester whenever it comes to everything because she uh she lives with me and she can't move out. So like she's subjected to all of my villains. Who says? <laughs> Just kidding.
4: Go. I'm Jack. Uh I
5: write uh all kinds of 5e content um over at uh the lore lock on most social media stuff um
4: mostly i i
5: write one shots so i'm interested
1: in villains as a whole and uh overarching villains and interested to hear what y'all have to say you're kind of touching on something that challenges me like developing a good villain for a one shot like um I have one that I created for my one-shot, uh, Dead Descent, where it's like, uh, he he's like an uh, incredibly ancient old blood mage who has pretended to be different people throughout his life, and like making him like a solid villain with actual uh, like pathos and stuff. Uh, like in in the span, it takes like one one to three hour gameplay. I always found it was hard to make him not seem hollow, you know, like. I'd love to I'd be really interested to know like how you do that how you develop a like an actual full villain for a one shot.
5: Uh my ethos is that there's no such thing as over the, the top life. um when it comes to that kind of thing. So I really like to look at like old comic book villains for instance. You know, you look at like an old Spider-Man villain, like a one-off Spider-Man villain and they're just completely over the top and silly and Spider-Man kicks their ass in, you know, 30 pages. Um, but often they're super fun uh, and interesting. And so I think that that's kind of how I try to approach it. It's just like, we don't have a lot of time with this character. Let's make them crazy and weird and fun and scary
2: and uh, just
5: something for
2: the, the players to really get their teeth into. Jack, just FYI, I think your volume's a little bit all over the place. I didn't I didn't hear some of the stuff that you said.
1: Yeah, I think your mic is moving around or getting farther and then closer to your mouth. Can you hear me now? Yes. Sorry, busted
5: what? headphones there, guys. Um uh basically my uh my philosophy with it is make them crazy and over the top and fun. Um I don't run super serious games, so it's never really an issue for me when when villains are a little more on the uh uh i guess uh austin powers side of things
4: i like the way you describe that
1: <laughs> when you get your doctorate in evil that's that's where your villain comes from i
4: was gonna say ostentatious but austin powers is even better
1: that's yeah, ostentatious i i find myself taking like shortcuts whenever i'm making a villain i really have to introduce and then get on with my life you know like uh for the villain i was talking about earlier i would i created him with like the theme of like a um a vampire and like i touched on themes of like vampirism blood then there's and he's like a shriveled old man like jealous of others youth and uh afraid of like he he's so afraid of death that he prolongs it by making deals with uh nefarious beings you know like i i touch on all these themes that have totally been done to death but when i put them together you know, like people can look at him and be like oh yeah, I know that guy. He he kind of is evil. You know, I don't have to know everything about the man to know I want to kill him.
2: Yeah, I think there's a like, I mean, it's sort of cliche to say, but like tropes, like they work, they work for a reason. And like we can exploit that structure and those expectations for empowering or like providing exposition on our villains and like making something hateable is like a lot of times easily accomplished by leaning on the tropes of other things that people hate. And like, I think that that vampire is really classic example of that what i like to do if for a one job only specifically is to exploit the prologue so like just have like an introduction like you guys have been dealing with this for a while Causing problems for a long time it's sort of like just the star wars opening sequence like this is this has been happening like now is when we sort of zoom into the story to deal with it but like this has been, um, been gone and going for a while and sort of like let the player sort of like for like foment that sort of believability in themselves
4: i appreciate i appreciate that for a one shot but for a for an ongoing campaign i really love it when villains change and in terms of like maybe you worked with them for a few few challenges and then all of a sudden they're your villain where like you don't know what's going on and you know, it's it's fun to play, I guess.
1: Yeah, I kind of experimented with that a couple times. Like watching someone you know become the villain of the campaign. Like how they start with their good intentions, and um, either the world doesn't let them be as good as they they can be, or they keep on making decisions that like lead them down a path that they should not. You have to have really attentive players for this to really play well. Like you have to have people that are, are kind of paying attention and um, read into what you say, maybe maybe more than. You you deserve but um it's it's really rewarding when it finally pays off
4: on the flip side of that it's also really interesting when it's a classically maybe character that you think is classically evil and they could flip either way you know like like a vampire that could actually help you or um you know a kobold who's not going to you know betray you
1: don't talk badly about my kobolds. They're all good. All of them. They're, they're like dogs. There are no bad kobolds.
4: You know what I'm talking about. I'm still not entirely trustworthy. I'm only trusting that, not well, I'm not entirely trustworthy, but I'm not entirely trusting our kobold friend, even though I love him.
1: <laughs> so do you okay, so I got a question for everyone. How long do you take developing the villain's looks? Like the description of the villain or even an illustration of them? Or is that a a secondary thing for you? Is it more about the speaking
2: and the actions and stuff? Maybe I would benefit from a little bit more clarification, but like like do you mean like on the back end, like when I'm planning the villain for the campaign or like when I'm actually presenting the villain to the players, like do I provide like a really long like description of them when they first meet them, like setting the scene kind of thing like what what do you mean well, I'm
1: talking like. You, you kind of theme your interaction with the party with your villain, right? The villain interacts with the party in a very specific way. A lot of the time, do you focus a lot on looks and how, um, how like the visual part of the villain makes people feel, or is it more about what they're doing at that moment? Like, Hey, it's a guy with black hair. Let's move on.
4: I'm interested in that from a branding perspective. Like maybe the visuals don't necessarily live up to, you know, this high end, whatever because I know that sometimes can be a big challenge but the brand like the whole package of the villain is it, an interesting um area
5: I think the visual is super important like you know you think about Dracula or Sauron or um you know even Walter White like what they look like conveys so much about who they are internally and so especially when you're introducing a villain giving that good description and and coming up with, you know, a look that communicates
2: kind of a little bit about their um, ideals is super important. Yeah. I think I subscribe to the Jack school of designing villains because I, I, I curate a particular appearance for a villain that, that really matches their themes or their goals. Like, like, again, like for vampires, I would really play up the, the sort of the, the vampire-esque parts of being, uh, like, of, of the villain, like, his obsession with blood, or, like, whatever his motivation was, like, I would give him a signature, or, like, something that that uniquely distinguishes him from the other NPCs, but I also think that, like, you can play with that, too, and, like, sort of juxtapose um, their appearance with their personality, so you might have, like, a really cute, innocent-looking gnome, who is also the, like, the quintessential, like, evil bad guy, so, like, you can, you can sort of mix and match, but Um, I don't like spend over long on it. Like I'll sort of flush it out for like maybe like 10 or 15 minutes in my head, just thinking what would be cool, but over the top cool.
1: Yeah. I like the juxtaposition of a, a smile that's too wide and eyes that are too dead. It seems to work for me with, for a lot of my villains. And I find myself falling back on it quite a bit. It's like the, the girl's got shark size, like a doll's eyes.
4: Laser shark.
5: I recently, um, I'm not a huge actual play podcast listener every day, but I've been listening to uh, Dungeons and Daddies recently. and One of my favorite kind of minor villains that I think I've ever heard is the library from that. Have any of you guys ever listened to it? Not that part.
1: I think I've listened to a few episodes of theirs.
5: The library is, uh, it's a librarian that's kind of this eldritch creature, and they just, really dive into the weird and creepy, you know, like when you check out a book, it sticks its hand down into its own gullet and pulls the book out for you. And, uh, you know, slowly they reveal, and spoilers, so apologies if you are just starting the podcast, um, but slowly they reveal that the whole point of the library giving away books is so that it can hunt down the people who don't return them. Um, And make more books out of their skin. And they really slowly kind of start with this character that's friendly-ish, but weird and creepy. And then evolve it into something that's just a
2: horrifying monstrosity.
1: See, you start with off-putting and then delve deeper and deeper into the horror pool.
2: Do any DMs want to talk about keeping villains alive? Like like (laughs) giving them some padding? Because first encounters uh, have not proved... uh, uh, entirely safe for a lot of my villains.
1: I'm very, very bad at that. Like, I try to make everything fair, you know, for my players. I want to give them as much freedom as possible. So I had a villain that were supposed to, like, be hunting them through this, this city for like an entire campaign. And they just, they insta-gibbed him their first encounter they had with him. And I was, I had built this guy up and I was very upset when he died. And I gave I gave them the magical loop, but I was like, I need a break for a second. I hate you. I hate you right now.
2: In one of my paid games, uh, the party has successfully murdered two of the like recurring villain characters that I've introduced to the game um, because of Hold Person. Like, it doesn't feel fitting to give like these like low level intermediate bad guys like legendary resistances. So I like, I, I didn't. But like, they they've all they've both died and like the first time the party meets them
5: it's the brilliance of the lich bad guy right is that it's so easy to make them oh they survived they had a um what do you call it a a rectory a container for their soul that you you missed um i think that 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 is something i fall back on frequently when trying to make them survive like oh you missed the fact that they had thought about dying in advance
1: Uh, Sometimes to cope, like, you know, the villain padding thing, like instead of more HP, I give them, uh, I guess I give them more hazards for the party to deal with, like either, either more like uh, a couple interesting henchmen to where it's supposed to draw people's fire, or maybe an environment that's not super conducive to chasing this guy down and uh, making with the killing before I I get the monologue off or before I make him a recurring villain. Yeah. Uh, Sorry no no it's it's fine like I, I was just about to say like hey put the villain villain across a really deep chasm and and have him taunt the party for a while give him give him archers that that shoot at people may make him very very annoying but also out of reach you know he's a smart guy
2: yeah, i hate hold person so much as a dm like when 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 players use it against uh, the like these key encounters
1: yeah I, I never i never roll my saves like i want to on on most of my campaigns, like my players are rolling really well, and my monsters aren't saving for anything. Okay, so best villains are they alien in nature or human? Like, what makes them better? Like the uh, the human aspects of their personality or how different they are from us?
2: I don't know. I'd say like they are like what makes them good is like what makes them engaging, and not necessarily what makes them human or uh, like alien because i think that um like aliens might be like inherently a little bit harder to rationalize or like harder to like, empathize with but also they might be really compelling to to stop because like you don't have that like maybe we can save them aspect of an alien so that makes them the party want to engage them and defeat them and the sort of like they don't have the sort of like to tiptoe around like the the redemption path but also like some people really like relatable villains than like that could make uh, humans come ahead. Personally, it doesn't matter to me.
1: Well, when I say alien, I mean the more monstrous villains. I mean something either somebody turned into some kind of monstrous being, or something from another plane, or whatever. I don't. I don't mean specifically like little gray men. You know, um, I'm talking about the the crazy heightened uh, traits that make a thing alien. Is that what makes the villain? good, or is like the human aspect of it, like the seeing somebody fall from grace, and then being a thorn in your side, like, what, what what I do is I, I take my even even my human villains, I take something about them and heighten it so much, and make make like one part of their personality so monstrous, that it overshadows everything else. And then the physical part of the, the villain kind of takes shape around that concept.
2: As a fan of cosmic horror, I definitely lean into like the monstrous and abstract and unknowable or like or those beings' pawns. So I so I definitely I tend to use more alienesque villains.
5: It's interesting. I have a tendency to do the opposite. I like when my villains are less powerful than the people they command. Like when they're when their power is their, um just how convincing they are or charming, um, for some reason that always comes as that, that, that ends up being more satisfying for me as a, a storyteller. Um, I can, that's just interesting.
2: I can see that like their power comes from an institution and not necessarily from like them personally.
5: Yeah. I think just having, um, having, having less power and yet being more, having less physical power and yet being more, uh, powerful of a, of a player is always an interesting person. Uh, in my mind i think probably that uh is revealing a little more about myself than i'd like but uh yeah
1: yeah the the evil genius the well i guess i can't say emperor palpatine since he got really he uh the the new movies like really 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 made him uh, made him out to be super powerful but like the the bureaucrats the corporate magnates those guys they they are interesting villains for sure and like the colorful part of like the interaction with them comes from like how they, they build the like the layers of protection around them, like their henchmen and their 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 infrastructure they set up.
2: Cersei Lannister, for example?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like it's like I've uh I've made friends with all the right people and I've I've pitted them all against all the right forces and here I am sitting in the middle of my my web of lies. I kind of I like the concept of the uh of the corporate magnate villain. That's why I have a dream, you know, to to have someday have a mutants and masterminds campaign where I get to have the the corporate tech lord as the as the supervillain. Oh,
2: like uh, like so like, are they going to have a power? Or Are they going to be more like, more like Lex
1: Luthor? More more like the evil genius Lex Luthor type guy? Like I, I have this whole concept for a campaign uh, about like a time loop, like this this uh, tech uh, this tech giant guy like is. Is pretty upset about not leaving a legacy that's uh, quite befitting his name so he he breaks off a huge chunk of a city into like a a time loop so he can sit there and do his research over and over and over again uh every day for the rest of eternity until he finally comes up with something amazing and uh like i would send the heroes in there to change little things and cause like a domino effect to actually take this guy out you know like he they're 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 no match for him when they come in at first because he's He's been researching for eternity, but uh, well, anyway, oh. I, I kind of want to have the whole theme to be like time and uh, how things get unpredictable once you break the space time continuum and how uh, this guy is incredibly ancient, but the rest of the, the city that he has in his sway has no idea what's going on.
4: Everyone he kills has to spend eternity in a cubicle farm filling out GPS reports. there's
1: evil and then there's evil yeah (laughs) yeah don't don't do that don't do that that's that's just going too far i have to put some kind of rating on it anyway the only thing that's stopping me is like mutants and masterminds is incredibly crunchy it's it's hard to get people into it but once they are into it it's great
4: i love the idea of like a groundhog day situation
1: (laughs) yeah i i think i would have like the heroes go in and start breaking things out of the time loop like um Having, uh, like, with great effort, you're able to break something out of the time loop and take it with you to, like, to the restart, you know, like the, uh, the players have to start at the same spot in the time loop every time, but they're aware of everything, but every once in a while they can find something to break out of the time loop and bring with them. So, like, they can set up pieces on the board to, like, leverage against this evil mastermind and eventually go to his... His island where he's got robotic turrets that'll vaporize steel and genetically enhanced super soldiers and brains and jars and laser sharks and all that. It's a fun,
2: like, good place situation.
4: I'm almost imagining, like, a freaking tower defense game inside of this game.
1: That's kind of what I'm playing against you, if you're my player.
4: It's interesting. Like... I mean, but the players could break out their defenses out of the time loop, and then they know that this villain is going to come by at this time every day. And so they, like, set up their defenses. So it's like like a dual tower defense situation.
2: What uh, prevents this mastermind from, like, reacting to the things that the players change? Like, you have these, like, ontological paradoxes where, like, they took away thing that he needs to make the turrets but like like when the time loop restarts like the thing that they took away like that doesn't come back i'm yeah
1: i was hoping to have paradoxes all over the place and have things get progressively weirder as they're messing up this time bubble also the i was thinking the villain would be also he would be a victim of the time loop as well the only thing that he owns that is not within the time loop is like his his computer where he keeps all of his research so he spends an entire day doing this research and going forward with his with his uh tech and stuff and he he saves everything to this computer that's that's uh immune to the the time mechanic then the day ends he wakes up and and he knows what's going on of course he knows that today is the day for the time loop oh what's on my computer all this cool research i've done awesome let's start the 3d printers you know
4: that is a really interesting campaign man i'm hoping to
1: do it someday but like what's stopping me is mutants and masterminds. Like they've got it set up to where you could create almost anything, you know, like you you can make your superhero ridiculous, but uh, it also involves a lot of math, a lot of, a lot of dice and a lot of patience. Like the character sheets are, they're not newbie friendly.
4: Love to watch a game of, of DMs, GMs playing it.
1: Oh, they're out there. They're out there. All right. Here's one. Where does everybody get their villain names? Random name generator. I just make it up.
5: I break apart the names of museums. Nice.
1: Museums?
5: Hugh Enheim
1: was a great villain. (laughs) Okay, okay.
3: I have a friend who did an entire campaign where all the villains were based off of um, childhood shows. So there was an entire house they had to go through that was uh, owned by the Lich Herman the Small.
1: Sorry, I got nothing. I might have had a different childhood.
4: The Monsters?
1: Nope. Not <laughs> the most Peewee Herman.
3: Oh,
4: duh. Okay. Herman the small Peewee. Gotcha.
1: Yeah, I think Peewee was on cable. I didn't have cable growing up. I have no idea what it was on. <laughs>
5: <laughs> this is a total aside, but uh, my neighbor growing up uh, was the a set designer for Peewee's Playhouse. Oh, wow.
4: Oh, that is so cool.
5: <laughs> they had the craziest like shed just all kinds
1: yeah. of weird props and
5: stuff. I was going to say, was that must have been on.
3: a crazy neighbor.
1: <laughs> like, I bet it's also like, like they've got all this cool stuff, but you don't go there after dark, you know? Yeah.
5: Even now, I probably would uh, question the sanity of anyone who would step in there after, say, 9pm.
1: Well, I just wouldn't wouldn't want to be in there with the props. I saw that couch. I saw that talking couch, and you can't convince me that's not weird.
3: Yeah, the whole house in his campaign was a mimic.
4: Here's the mail that never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. Wait, oh, that's loose? No, it's okay. Mail time. That's it. There was something with the mail.
3: That was a long time ago. I don't remember that.
4: Yeah.
1: So what I usually do for my villain names is I, I um, take like the seed that's supposed to make my villain, you know, like the the crazy personality trait that's supposed to make them who they are. Put it through a translator to all these different languages and then take the roots of those words and make another word out of it. So in the end it's super unrecognizable, but I I kind of connect it to this concept and I, I'm able to keep more better track of it in my head.
2: That's pretty similar to how I come up with like most names. I'm a linguist by trade and so I like I, I like to play with words and I just sort of like make up names by manipulating the sounds and sort of like combining and mixing matching parts of words. One of the, the villains slash sometime like assistance to the party i'm running through right now with uh, like a homebrew campaign is named voramir valkenhayn because valkenhayn is like uh a combination of like the word falcon that i thought seemed like a cool symbol for him and then like a general from like the some war that took place in romania back around world war one i think
1: Yeah. Like it's, it's not always a winner whenever I do it. Like whenever I break down the words and I I try different sounds out with them, it's not always a a winner, but when it hits, Oh, it it hits really good. And like you, you say it, it rolls off your tongue. You're like, Oh yeah, that's a villain.
2: Yeah. The party's right now, like exploring the politics of like a community, uh, like a, a kind of vampire nobility in the region. And they're trying to take one down but they are relying on aid and assistance from, like, one of his rivals. So they're trying to take down a uh, Grigore Mormont, uh, a.k.a. Grigore Dregomir, by his, like, older name that he sort of threw away to sort of, like, rebrand himself. His enemy is, like, Wormir Valkenhayn, who's also a bad guy, but, like, a more beneficial bad guy. And then also, like, an older rival that is dead, they've been exploring his tombs for information, is uh, Salazen uh, Neshatul.
4: Do you guys ever put in like messages to your players? That is, if you feel comfortable answering. <laughs> what do you mean? Like hidden messages in the names of your villains to your players that may or may not pick up on it.
2: Sometimes I think names can be can be like a fun that like you can like make them punny. Like if like a pun can be kind of like a message. Like you could be really like on the nose with it. So you can like name him like, uh, Kuvokono the Cold Blooded or something like that can be like really transparent. Um, or you could sort of, I, I've also done, like, like, obvious, like, pop culture references. Um, Like Mormont? Yeah.
4: Like, I immediately was like, oh, pick it up on that
2: one. Originally, it was intended to, just because, like, that's grave and, like, Romanian. And so I was like, oh, like, that's fun. But also, like, it seems similar to, like, Game of Thrones. So that, that was cool. It was like a, a double up.
1: It's nice when you don't have to. Um, it's nice when your when your players can take that shortcut to the understanding you want them to get to, instead of like going the long way around.
2: Once I had my PCs actually name uh, my big bad for a campaign, so like the I I told the party, hey, like you're starting off in this town, but like just give me a reason why you're there, and then the one of the PCs was like, well, I found the the. Like, they were going to the town of Leech, L E A C H. And, like, they were like, okay, well, like, I saw the letters L C H engraved in a tree and I thought I should come here. And I was like, okay, well, like, what does L C H mean? And so, like, I came up with this concept of, like, this evil villain named, like, Lometzip the Conscience Hoarder, who was some, like, elder Genity who's, like, taking warlocks. Like, that was, like, and it ended up becoming her patron. So, like, her patron was, like, Lometzip the Conscience Hoarder like all of the warlocks basically became his eyes and ears on the ground and so like he basically collected all the information that his warlocks observed and so that was a, a way that my pcs named the bbeg
1: Well, oh, that's cool and they they had that extra connection to the story then after that too did it did it play well did they uh did they keep on going after him
2: yeah so like being like like it was sort of like a passive relationship where like like he just like okay yeah here's all this power and then uh like but the the caveat is of course that like anything the warlock saw the the patron would know and like they were uncovering this like they were looking for this like legendary lost vault of artifacts and the little he was supposed to be the backup function of the universe basically that was his function in the setting was like he's this like like any information that any events that happen he like chronicles them and he like he's like a database of information about the world and he like ferrets out all the secrets from like all the other planes of existence and like there's something in the vault that he, he wants to know what's in there for his own like mo his own raison d'etre and so like but they knew that there was bad stuff in there that he, that they didn't want him to find out about and so so they like there was this tension between like if we go in there he's going to know what's in there and that it's going to get out somehow. So we don't want to go in there while he's still reading my mind. So they had to like circumvent that by finding an artifact that like, that basically created a Faraday, Faraday field for their mind.
1: So that's, that's kind of a play on the, I mean, it's not cosmic horror, I guess, but it's, it is a play on like the, the evil genius sort of trope as well. Like, um, the the being that knows so much that it has leverage almost over and for everybody depending on how many
2: eyes you gave them in the uh in the campaign yeah like that bubble was full that ball was full of technology that like an ancient civilization like collected all the bad like stuff and like secreted it away inside a, a pocket dimension um so that other people wouldn't use it so like the equivalent of like a nuclear bunker in fantasy so like they didn't want any information about what was in there getting out because a bunch of different factions were also trying to find it. Like a theocratic church was trying to get their hands on the stuff to eliminate their rivals. Like an army of angels was trying to get it to sort of like wipe out the demons. And that would cause a lot of collateral damage. Like they were like preventing many parties from, from finding out what was inside there.
1: So for a cosmic being like that, did you ever have a hard time giving it a face? Like um, in one of my, in one of my uh, stories, like one of my campaigns, like my villain is i guess the overall villain like there's a bunch of there's a bunch of like smaller villains to to get at on the way to the the major one like the big villain overall in the campaign is actually a a beast from another universe like it it is its own reality and it's punctured our reality and it's slowly digesting our universe over time and as they digest the place like uh like the the laws of reality are breaking down uh magic is getting weird and um like gravity doesn't work right and depending on when you catch it like the the universe could be uh completely unpredictable or semi-normal right and like i had a hard time characterizing the thing you know i'm i'm no lovecraft you know but i'm i'm trying to put a face on the unknowable like the um the unseeable as a villain, and it always had a hard time characterizing it as evil and worth
2: fighting. You know, I think that I mean, like in a sense, like providing a face, like something like tangible about the entity is almost antithetical to it being unknowable or it being sort of like Lovecraftian in the the capital L sense of it. Like, like I prefer the the them not be like ultimately knowable and relatable because. Like, ultimately, that makes them, like, more scary. Like, if they're affecting you, but you don't know how they work or, like, what they look like, I think that that, that breeds a confidence that is sort of, like, like that, that, that kills horror and suspense. And so like, I prefer to sort of, like, give all those, like, otherworldly effects a theme. Like, they were all themed around information because that was his whole thing. So, like, the, like, pages would mysteriously become blank. Or they would dream about, like, walking the halls of, like, a lost library, like, being stalked by, like, monsters. Or they would, like, they would, like, momentarily forget things that they thought they knew. Or they would remember things that they never experienced. Or they would begin speaking in a language they didn't know that they knew for, like, a few moments. So, like, the knowledge of everybody on the plane was, like, slowly being warped. But Like, like that was sort of, like, it was on theme and it was specific. But it was also, like, not specific to, like, what that person actually was constituted by. So it's, it's on theme enough for the
1: players to be able to pin who's responsible, but not concrete enough to where like it's um, where they can categorize it and then
2: uh, put it away in their brains. Right. Yeah. Like at the end of the road, there was no, like, here's the fight against Lometsip. Like, we're not going to like, they're not going to face him one-on-one. Like he is like abstract. He's in outer space. Like, like if you, there, there's no way to sort of meet it in person and like fight it. Like it's, it's a force. It's a, it's a, a force of nature.
1: Yeah. Um, the way I had mine, the way I handled this particular villain, like the the creature from from another universe thing, is I, I had proxies. Like, uh, it doesn't necessarily send people out to do its bidding or anything, but things like beings and cultures that it's touched are warped in a way that uh make them very alien to the players you know like uh they they touched on a civilization that was uh incredibly rich and powerful and it brought them so low that now they're little more than animals that are uh, that can't live in the light you know and uh like whenever it touches a say the 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 concept of gravity it starts to it starts to not work like it should and things are things are starting to collapse in on themselves at times and then when you when you blink or look again it's it's back to normal again so I, I get what you're saying it's just um pushing the players forward to to combat the threat i always felt like i was doing them a disservice by not explaining things better but perhaps the mystery part of it is what makes it a little bit better than the way the, what i
2: was talking about yeah, I mean, as long as they have a goal, I think that's like that's enough to propel them forward. Like, if they're motivated to accomplish whatever they want to accomplish, their goal doesn't have to be, we need to beat this one specific individual more like, we need to stop this plan from happening. I guess, like, there are multiple multiple ways of... There are multiple different angles to, to consider like, what the players want to do. And that's what worked in that game specifically. I'm not saying that it worked for, like, every play group.
1: No, of course not. All of our players are quite different. Okay, so... I told you about my villain lair that I want to create, right? Well, on the, on the, the, uh, in the time loop with like the advanced technology, brains in jars, uh, laser sharks, like all the things you could have with mad science, right? Uh, do you have a particular villain lair that you fell in love with that you
2: made or any that you've played? Um, recently, like two weeks ago, I ran a level 20 one shot with some of my friends here on Clubhouse. Um, And the the premise of that campaign was, everybody make a level 20 character, we're going to kill Orcus. Uh, And so I constructed this entire dungeon, like this three level dungeon, where like they're fighting through waves of undead enemies and taking down his three generals, and then ultimately, like fighting against Orcus. And that layer was like super fun to construct. Um, There was, uh, the first layer was like... um, like just getting into the pyramid itself. Like there, were, there, was a battle, there was a battle happening outside where the forces of the living were clashing against the forces of like undeath. And so the party fought a Draco Lich Then they went in the pyramid and they went down, they went to this like Lich's library. And so like the Lich was like using telekinesis to like move the bookshelves all, like across the room. They were sliding all around, like ramming the players and like creating obstacles, like blocking line of sight and stuff. So like the battlefield was constantly changing because of these like shuffling bookcases. And then, like, the next layer was, like, the layer of a Cybriax that was another one of, like, Orcus's, like, creations. And so like, so, like, the Cybriax was, like, a gigantic pussy meatball. And so, like, he was, like, being, like, swung from the ceiling on a, like, a, a complex system of chains by cultists who were, like, manipulating all these pulleys, sort of, like, swinging the Sibrix around the battlefield. Um, and so that was a really fun and chaotic battle, too, against the Cybriax. And then finally fighting Orcus and like all the undead that he was summoning and his like lair, like this dramatic battle on like a chasm overlooking like a gigantic sea of like, like ectoplasm um, and like Orcus is flying around and like the party's trying not to fall in and be, or be pushed into this, this vat of like necrotic acid. That was a really fun lair to run through. Yeah, that, that does actually sound like a lot of
1: fun. I especially love the, uh, the moving bookcases for the lich, um, <laughs> did you keep it from being frustrating or was it more about being frustrating for the player? Well, they were level
2: 20. So it didn't seem unfair to sort of like to be changing the battlefield that way, because they had a number of tools to sort of like to fix things. But like, I don't worry so much about fairness and balance. A lot of the time, like my, I see my role as a DM is like creating obstacles and like creating problems for the party that, that they're supposed to solve using their abilities and wit. And so like, if that's inconvenient for them, then like that's, that's playing the game as far as I'm concerned.
1: Oh, I forgot that you made them level 20. Like, they're gods already. They're going to be fine.
2: It's like everything is a minor inconvenience. Yeah, fine. Like, the in the ultimate battle, the druid uh, ch- turned into a brass dragon and picked the paladin up by their cloak and flew them around the battlefield, like, slinging, like, divine smite after divine smite onto Orcus. Um, so that was how they overcome that and like there was this really dramatic moment of the battle where orcas cast time stop and summoned a whole bunch of undead to get in the way of them to prevent them from just smiting the shit out of him
1: yeah um so okay this is just a a side note here um i do an undead horde campaign too like it's it's a zombie horde campaign. it's like zombie apocalypse right how do you handle your initiative with your zombies like i just have them go last and then go all together but uh whenever you have hordes of undead and stuff how how are you doing your initiative it can get ridiculous
2: i have them go as a group i have them roll but i have them go as a group
1: right yeah with me it was like all the zombies are always going to go last they're all going to move at the same time but then i do their separate attacks if they're able to you know since since it was all zombies it was just them trying to bite people or or scratch them you know so it wasn't there were no lines of archer zombies or anything like that
2: yeah, I am a pretty, I'm pretty minimalist when it comes to, like, DMing, so, like, I always try to find the easiest, like, less bookkeeping way of doing things. Yeah, no,
3: absolutely. I, I always do grouped initiative for, uh, I, I sometimes get so lazy that I do grouped initiative for everyone on the uh, enemy side, assuming that they're, except for, like, a big bad of the fight or something like that.
2: When I play in Clubhouse, I just use initiative, PTR order, like, and that's the order the players go in, like, they're just, like, not even rolling.
1: Oh, Interesting with me i like i try to make almost every combatant on on the field a little bit more a little bit unique you know something flavorful but then there's like hordes of stuff that complicate things and the horde always goes together but i also give the horde pack tactics every
2: single one of them yeah, i mean if you play with the optional flanking rule that's almost a given right
4: yeah
1: pretty no, much normally i'm not big on flanking but the the horde having pack tactics i, I felt that that was thematically correct for for a zombie horde at least
3: yeah it seems fair do you I, find that um having each of your creatures go at a different initiative now i assume like if you have five goblins attacking them per se you have initiative rolled for each of the different five goblins
1: i do um do you find make-
3: how do you find that changes the tactics of it is does it make it more interesting for the players you think
1: combat is slower but i think where the interest comes uh, during that combat is more about what kind of cover I give them to to take. Like, I, if we're fighting in like a group of buildings or something, the, then I can uh, I can manage these goblins going one at a time, right? If we're just on a flat playing field and I've got five goblins, I'm going to definitely streamline things a lot more. Like the, the interest doesn't come from the singular goblins. May, maybe give one of them a uh, a magic scroll or something. You know, make make them different in some way.
2: Got it. I can see the value in, like, enrolling individually for them, because, like, it does, like, through the Law of Large Numbers, like, guarantee that, like, the monsters are going to be pretty evenly distributed around where the party goes in initiative. Like, you're going to have some monsters go first a lot of the time, like, some, are, some monsters go in the middle, and so, like, you have this, like, distribution, you don't have these, like, situations where every party member goes first, and then the survivors that that weren't killed in that initial onslaught, they get to go. And, like, so, like, like so, like you avoid those situations sometimes, but um, I, you could also, I I say like like just me being lazy again. I would prefer simply prefer to sort of like just have like if I have a bunch of monsters, I would just stipulate that like okay, some of these are going to go first. Like so, like I, I like I layer like a sandwich or something. So like monsters, whoever rolled highest as a player, another monster goes, and then another player goes. So I just like like just wedge them in as as it happens i guess because i just like like rolling like multiple initiatives like i feel that that really takes me out of the moment it takes me out of the tension if i'm like okay like what did everybody roll again like and like what are all these monsters like like cycling through the order like it really like that that confuses and or takes me out of the moment sometimes like i lose the the narrative inertia
3: yeah i get that i i do feel that at times too
1: Ever since COVID, I've been playing on roll 20 so much that I barely notice initiative um, rolling time anymore, you know, because it, it keeps track of it for you. But, yeah, if I'm rolling my, my dice on my table, that, that gets silly if I have a horde.
6: Do you target pets in combat?
2: My rule is that if you're expecting a mechanical advantage out of a the pet, then that pet is fair game to be attacked. If you're using it just for cosmetics, then for then I'm not going to bother with it. Like if like if you're using it as a tool, then like it's fair game to take that away. Yeah, if yeah, your pet's messing with me, I'm messing with your pet.
3: Yeah, I won't be vindictive about it, but um, absolutely, if you're if it's a tactical tool, then it's uh, it's on the table.
6: So yes, targeted, but maybe not like target all the things at it.
2: I won't make it. I won't. I won't make the first move. Like, but if you say like my wolf attacks that thing, then I'm gonna be like, okay, well, like that thing attacks back. Uh, and like, right. remember, like it's just a mundane wolf. So,
1: yeah, I won't go out of my way to spare your pet, but I, I won't like go directly for. It. I won't go for the the emotional jugular, so to speak.
2: Yeah, like have a eulogy prepared. I guess is my advice if you're going to use your pet in combat.
1: Seems very simple. All right, folks, I have got to go to my daughter's birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese, so I'm going to leave this up to uh, Robert and Kristen here. And um, I guess I'll see uh, everybody next week if you want to come on down and, and say hi.
3: Well, thanks for joining us, uh, John, and
1: have fun at Chuck E. Cheese.
3: Enjoy yep. the dad time.
1: Uh... They don't have ball pits anymore, but I'm going to imagine.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah. Thanks for letting me speak. Thanks for the conversation.
1: No, you've been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate you coming down, Ethan. I'll I'll uh, I'll see you guys next week, and you guys have fun in the room. Yep.
2: Thanks.
3: So, yeah, kind of getting back to specifically the the, the villains. Um, what? So I think we mentioned this before. I apologize if I repeat stuff. As I said, I was driving at the beginning of this, so I missed some of it. But does anyone have a uh, a favorite villain that either they've made or that they've experienced as a player, and why?
2: Well, I love Strad, so like that's that's one. That's pretty close to the top of the list. But also, like as far as like custom stuff. I once used villains against my players. It was like a trio of like rogues. They were like, it was a Kenku, a mind flayer, and a doppelganger. They were like working in concert with one another. They were called like the three spooks. And like their names were like, say no, hear no and see no, and like <laughs> because they were uh, like the, the Kenku was like say no, because it could say, like it could imitate anything. And like the mind flayer was here no, because it could, it could read your mind. And the, the, the doppelganger was, like, see, no, if I Yeah, I don't know. Um, and so, like, like, basically, like, they were always, uh, like, interfering with the party's plans. It's just so, like, like just, they were always there to mess something up or to, like, incriminate them for something.
3: Ha. Huh. That's fun.
2: Yeah. That mind player killed uh, a PC in a session in an ambush that they set up. So, like, that really made the PC, made the, the players hate them. Um, I
3: I don't think I'm allowed to put mind flayers in any of my campaigns anymore because uh, in the past two campaigns where I've had mind flayers present I've also killed players with said mind flayers so I think they're off limits for me according to my players (laughs) which sucks because I love mind flayers
2: yeah they're great I love them as NPCs that the like that are like not explicitly evil like the PCs are just like oh like like hey I'm a mind flayer like I can I can do this, like, weird task for you because I've become an expert on this really esoteric field. Um, or, um, like, because they're really compelling villains. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, they're, they're creepy, so they're fun.
3: So in a game we just wrapped up last year, um, the mind flayer that my friend who is DMing had in it was a bartender at a magical bar we found. And we would just... We had a, a magic key that would bring us to his um, to his bar from wherever we were, as long as there was a door with a lock, and we would go there and kind of chat with him, and he would keep us safe. And <laughs> So it was a, a fun flip on that. Probably one of my favorite villains uh, comes from, and the reason that I liked him so much as a villain is not quite the reason that my uh, DM expected me to. So we were playing in like a kind of a prologue game, and... We were tracking this guy down. We knew that we didn't know who it was, but we knew there was something going on. And we met up with the guy and he pointed us somewhere else. So we kind of went off and about halfway through the other dungeon that he had sent us to all of a sudden, something clicked on one of my investigation checks in the middle of the dungeon. I just turn around and I walk back out, just walk out. And my party member was like, "Uh, okay. So I follow him and we go back to this place and he was running an orphanage. And so I confront him at the dinner table. And uh, he ended up throwing these monsters at us that kept dying suspiciously quickly. Uh, and then he escaped as we were kind of dealing with these monsters that should have had more than one hit point, but definitely only had one hit point. And it turns out that the uh, the villain had cast an illusion spell on some of his charges, shall we say?
2: Ah, uh, so very
3: nice. So. Yeah, so my party members were all pissed at him because, like, you made us kill kids. And I was, like, so I was playing a character based off of Sherlock Holmes. I was playing an Investigation rogue, And I was just pissed at him the entire rest of the campaign because I was, like, you tricked me, you son of a bitch.
2: (laughs) Yeah, those plays, as a DM, like, I I tend not to go for, like, the whole, like, you were secretly killing innocents. Like, I feel like that gambit has a tendency to backfire on me. And, like, I don't want to, like, it it feels a little bit manipulative. So, like, I don't go for that a lot of the time. Um, especially with, with kids, but I, I, I can see like how dramatic that is and it's it's really impactful when it resonates well with the players
3: yeah and you absolutely have to know your audience um, which he did, he did We've been playing together for a long time so yeah it's a uh, it's definitely something to steer clear of unless you are extremely familiar with your players um, but it did work for us and as I said my character was just pissed off because he pulled the hood over his eyes
2: one of the one of the premature deaths in our recent campaigns of the villains i mentioned earlier was a knoll who was named grinner the cruel um and so grinner was like a gnoll bounty hunter basically like he was like like comfortable enough going into town and sort of like dealing with all the people that like he got this job like as a like a really evil bounty hunter uh like mm-hmm. collecting all these band like bounties and sort of like and being like generally like kind of like an evil guy but like useful to the keep so like people are going to be kind of mad if like he starts like if he stops catching criminals even though he's also like eating their legs sometimes if they try to run away um and so like like once the party got word that like like yeah like this gnoll is also responsible for like this band of like rat folk that were like imprisoned in a um, an evil mushroom farm like like they befriended those ratlings and uh they were like okay well like, we're definitely going to kill that knoll now and so like they 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 ended up tracking him down and sort of killing him in his lair. Um, but it was, it was fun. I, w- I wish that Gritter had survived longer.
3: Yeah. So my, um, it was funny. I had a, uh, a bad guy planned in one of my campaigns and uh, during the f- second time they met up with her, um, I rolled really well that night and the players did not So I ended up with, I was actually one of those Mind Flayer character deaths I was just mentioning. And so I kind of felt bad in the moment, so I let them take revenge on her. But then I went home and I was like, hmm, I don't have a big bad for this adventure anymore. Okay. And they got back to their home base and they met up with basically their boss. And I don't know what it was up with my improv that night or what, but he ended up being very confrontational. And so they started hating him. So I was like, cool, guess I found a new big bad. So I kind of twisted things so that now this guy who was actually their boss, cause they're playing um, spies in, um, oh, I'm blanking on the name of the country in, uh, in Eberron. Um, anyways, doesn't matter. And so he was basically one of their bosses, but uh, they hated him so much and they were, dead set on taking him out so I just kind of twisted it so that they could and it was actually really satisfying that way
2: in the game I was playing with the like it's being like recurring villains uh, like the like so like the the party like they 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 in the, when they were lower level they like they took care of a cult like it was the cult of like this worm the cult was like using like a baby purple worm to sort of like excavate to the center of the earth like so like they mm-hmm. met this this cultist and they're like like, they spared him, but, like, the the warlock also, like, burned off his hand, like, with, uh, like, with one of her spells. And uh, so, like, so, like, I had him come back later on, like, in, like, la- the campaign as a way of justifying, like, a player absence. Uh, so, like, my, my wife couldn't play that game. And so, I'm like, okay, well, like, this session, um, like, you wake up from the, you wake up in the tavern, but, like, the bard is missing. And so, like, there's this note in, like, stabbed into the bard's bed where, like, but yeah the, your bard got kidnapped by by some mysterious figure and uh, like when they finally tracked the bard down um the this figure was like the cultist that had no like that was missing his hand and they're like i know you and so like the at the end like the warlock burned off his other hand and left him to live and so if i <laughs> so if i play with that if i play with with that with that friend again like um, she's in my linguistics department here at my university, uh, and so, like, so when we play another game that in like another campaign that same character is going to come back. Only this time, both of his hands are like replaced by gold. Um, oh, so, nice! Like, going to be a fun thing.
3: Does anyone else have any uh, villains that they've enjoyed playing against or throwing at their players? Or
2: um, sometimes I give my villains fun voices that sort of like in the hopes that that'll engender some kind of, like, forgiveness or empathy or, like, just, like, I want him to live a little bit longer so that, like, so that, so I can hear that, vo- that funny voice some more. It's so, like, one of the, <laughs> the the NPCs that I, that I employed against the party recently was, like, this sort of, like, groveling, like, like, sniveling, kind of, like, almost like a Snape-like character in service to this, um, this, this vampire that they're working with. And, like, I gave him the voice of, like, Gru from, um, from Despicable Me, like, like a heavily, like, high pitched, like, um, like, Gru voice, and that ended up being a lot of fun, but ultimately, they still killed him, uh, so, uh, woe is me.
3: Oh, yeah, I try to not do plot armor as much as I can, but at times, it's just kind of necessary, Um, but I mean, you always have the, uh, the plot armor of, oh yeah, no, you killed this person who you absolutely thought was behind the big plot, but, um, nope, that was really just a lackey. Um, or maybe a lackey took over for the big bad or something like that. You know,
4: that happens a lot. A lot of the most memorable characters were not intended to be as big as they were, at least for me as a player. Like, um... And a lot of it has to do with how the party members actually interacted with this mem- with these people. Mm-hmm. Like, um, in one campaign, I'm scared to like to give away anything in John's campaign because he's really been my only. <laughs> but um, actually, no, I have a couple more. But anyway, um, the a lot of them were like these supporting characters that were elevated by how people uh, treated them. Or how they solved problems a little bit outside of um, standard methods. Or ones that were okay, but they, like, jumped into battle. You know, before before they got the whole story, they just decided that, nope, he needs to be taken out, even though that really wasn't the intent. Huh. Uh, it's more like instance by instance. Like, the big bad just becomes almost furniture, you know? Sure. Even some of the most like opposing forces that were super memorable weren't actually villains. They were just in bad circumstances. Like uh, John has this one guy that's uh, and I'm like, I can't give away all the stories, but um, this one guy that you just don't know whether or not to to support or whether or not to trust. Mm-hmm. He ends up. You make a lot of decisions that like protect yourself, even though probably didn't have to do that and he becomes he becomes this like circumstance that is villainous even though he is not and that's really interesting too
3: and another way to play with villains that i've experienced is to not necessarily make them universal villains as it were but like there is this one villain in a campaign that i it was in that um started out as a party ally but just because of a happenstance where alliances were formed in some other way, the party accidentally made an alliance with the sworn enemies of this this of this NPC, so therefore, this NPC went from friend to foe, flip of a switch.
4: And those are the most fun to play against, at least for me. Because I found like the ones that were intended to be the big baddie, a lot of times we don't even play it the way that it was intended and so like as much as I love you know the thought and everything that goes into them a lot of the times they end up being less than you know it's kind of like in horror films where um it's super scary until you see the big bad you know sure like it's yeah like uh Personally, I want I want my horror films to have no special effects budget whatsoever. Like I would rather it be more like mental, you know, everything that you build up inside your head. That's all about you. That can make it fifty gazillion times scarier than than the actual circumstance.
3: Yeah, absolutely. That uh, tried and true uh, horror trope.
4: I mean, like you can make it horror. But it also it could just be, you know, a rock in a hard place that was that was created or or, um, that was orchestrated by this big baddie. And you don't even know who it is, you know, and it could be someone in your party. I don't know.
3: That's something that I've always uh, wanted to try to orchestrate correctly. Um, I, I did it in a one shot once, but I don't think it pulled off quite as well as I would have hoped is and this i think would only work in a one shot is to add the betrayer element in where one of the party members is actually a betrayer um and becomes maybe not the big bad but definitely a big bad um but i think that if it were to happen over the course of more than a one shot it would uh, it would ultimately be toxic to the the um the actual table
4: for sure
3: something that's always toyed around with
4: there's always that dynamic of the, like, evil player. Some people try to do it. But even, like, ultimately, you try to be this, like, I'm only in for myself. I'm, I'm super all over the place. I just am me. But you end up, you know, supporting the team because that's what you need to get through. And you can justify it all sorts of ways. But a lot of times that becomes really hard to like embed a bat into the into the team because there's so many so many opportunities for plot holes there
2: Mm -hmm. i my perspective on secrets uh since we're on that topic is like i don't mind secrets like between characters but i would tell like a player like who's considering the whole like the the betrayer role in the party sort of like to be upfront about like your party secret that way like everybody can be in on the irony and everybody can be in on the joke that way like like everybody knows like what's coming and you can sort of like play around with that irony it adds value to like all the sessions leading up to the betrayer rather than sort of people feeling kind of jilted at the end
3: oh it's interesting that's that's an interesting way to uh to allow that to be a multi-session um storyline
2: yeah, everybody wants the, the big dramatic reveal, like, it was me all along, but, like, actually, like, like, at worst, it'll feel inconsistent and unexpected, and, like, at, like, like or at best, it'll be, like, inconsistent and unexpected, but, like, at worst, it'll feel like, like, how could you do this to us? Like, we were all really hoping to defeat this bad guy, but, like, by, like, so, like, even though you spoil the ending, like, you, you benefit from the dramatic irony
4: like the game of Clue. Like, you go in, okay, one of these guys is obviously the bad guy. You know, like, you go in and and you, you set those expectations from the front. That way, I'm sure it would make a lot of people play differently anyway. A lot more, like, able to take risks and a little bit more, like, less invested in being the serious person looking at every single rule on every single page of every single rule book, you know?
2: Yeah, right. Invite that evil element and beat that evil elephant into the room to sort of play the game with you for a while.
4: I wonder if there's
3: like a middle ground that could be played, though, instead of knowing who the betrayer is, is playing it something like, so I just picked up the board game Unfathomable recently, and I still can't say the word uh, without stumbling over it, but I digress. Um, and one of the party members will definitely be a betrayer and they're, they're working against the goals, but they also don't want to be found out because then they're going to be tossed in jail. So I wonder if you just went into a party or into a group and you said, okay, one of you right up front and just say, one of you is going to betray the party. That's, that's the storyline that we are playing, or that's part of the storyline that we are playing. Not going to say who, but, that way when the surprise does happen when somebody's revealed to be the betrayer, it's not a it's not a shock to the players in terms of, oh, we just did all this work for nothing. But at the same time the who it was could still be a surprise. Yeah,
2: it's like the like the game like Mafia or like werewolf
4: or something.
3: Exactly,
2: yes.
4: It'd be interesting if even the players didn't know that. Like you know, it's like you start the game one way and then and then the DM you know approaches you later and like so you know surprise you get to be the betrayer here is the oh. tells.
3: so so do a uh part in the the turn of phrase but do a uh, witch hunt scenario where there's really no betrayer for the first two sessions but you've told the party there's a betrayer and so that way even though nobody's actually working against the party they think someone is
4: that could be really cool
3: oh now i'm now i'm uh Plotting and planning against my players.
4: <laughs> well, that's the job of the DM, right? <laughs> John has the shirt. In that says, when the DM smiles, it's already too late.
3: <laughs> oh yeah, it's actually in my um, it's in my hamper right now. <laughs> I, I it's have worse when the well. DM
6: laughs.
4: Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> Welcome
6: back. Like, I mean that.
3: That's the point of training for a long time as a DM is that you. You learn how to make yourself not laugh in those situations
4: you know an interesting an interesting dynamic speaking of like embedding a bit a baddie is so what what we just talked about but also have the the dm play a character in the party which may be too hard i don't know but um people are automatically gonna think that that's the character that that's the betrayer you know and so they would act differently too
2: that could be fun. I, I normally I, avoid the NPC thing personally, but I can see... I, gonna it say
3: I, I generally avoid it too, but for no other reasons, then I have enough voices in my head. I don't need to add one more. Imagine go, running go. In the
6: entire, uh, one entire side of combat plus a, a guy within the combat, and then also the guy that you're running within the combat against the your other whole side of combat has to not know the things that you know, <laughs> like that's a lot.
4: So John, yep, plays, I got a headache. <laughs> John jumps in and out with Kibo. Like occasionally, he'll join us on a on a um, specific instance or something like that for a purpose, obviously. But he's not always playing Kibo, and so like sometimes Kibo goes and hangs out with all his friends. Sometimes he like, you know, he's very mercurial and. I think that may be a good option for some of the embedding, some of those dynamics,
2: you know? Yeah. If you're going to play a DMPC, you have to be really good at compartmentalizing your knowledge and you also have to be like really mindful of the spotlight. So you're not taking it away from the players.
6: My current DM that I'm about to start our second campaign with tomorrow, um, does a really good job at this. Like he has some, you know, he's thrown in some DMPCs when, when we've needed it or, you know, um, when three of the party doesn't show up and it's just me <laughs> against a group of things, um, but he he's done a really good job at not. Uh, they never overwhelm the spotlight. They're you know they they never get the critical moments. Um, they're reasonably helpful and you you know who they are as characters, but they're not. Uh, they never quite you know um, step in and take over.
3: And I fall on the other side of things as a DM with whatever I have NPCs follow the party for too long. I forget they're there. And all of a sudden, my party would be like, "What's such and such doing?" And you're like, oh yeah, um,
6: this.
4: Yeah, in our other campaign, um.
6: Okay, that totally happened a few times too. Yeah, totally. <laughs>
4: like in our other campaign, one of our players is like on a Sabbatical, but we didn't want to stop the campaign, so he's kind of like hanging around. He's a Druid, so you never know what animal he's gonna be in, and he's just like not really helping, but occasionally he'll show up. We forget about him until we don't.
3: <laughs> it goes back to what I was saying before. It's like you, you juggle around so many voices in your head that you just lose track of them sometimes. And I, I'm more of an improv DM, so I I don't take the meticulous notes necessary to keep them straight.
4: That's so funny. I'm... One of our one of our um, one of the people in our party. Well, a few I guess a couple of campaigns ago. His character kept switching her accent. Sometimes it was French, sometimes it was Russian. You never knew. So it was great.
1: The accents are hard.
4: Eventually we just like Maybe it, maybe
1: character of, was a
6: mimic.
4: Yeah, eventually we just kinda made it part of her um, part of her thing. Like you never knew. She was trying to be mysterious. But not really. Uh-huh.
2: <laughs> yeah, they're they are just a doppelganger. And they're different her personas
4: love
6: it maybe the the character just you know really really enjoys modeling plays and spends all their time in the audience and you know
2: or they're like uh they've got this like they're an undead entity and they've got this bag full of heads and every head has a different accent so they're just like <laughs> all the I
4: love time. that wow she was a warlock and a madam
6: <laughs> that would be fun actually if you encounter a character which like every you know every few turns or whatever on a dice roll like you you may get a new uh (laughs) you may be talking to somebody new and like you know a few you know maybe one of them really doesn't like you most of them are, are reasonably helpful and yeah
4: we had a mad scientist that was like that. <laughs> it was really strange. I did that
2: once for like a ghost that was haunting a boot. There was like a ghost that was sort of acting like a genie and that it lives inside a boot. And like they would like roll a dice every like every time they interacted with it to see like what its disposition was that day. Like, on, a, on a scale of like one to 20, like how happy is it to see you? That was a but it wasn't like accents. accent. It was just sort of a, a, a sentient item. I love that. Oh my gosh,
4: that's so fun.
6: What have been some of your favorite sentient items? And also, um, as somebody who hasn't DM'd, like how much how much uh, preparation is really necessary?
0: I'm just going to interject really quick, Rob. I know you've got to go in in five minutes, right?
3: I actually do not. Uh, my game tonight canceled, so I'm good.
0: Oh, all right then. Ignore me and carry on, please.
3: No, all right. But thanks for checking in.
0: Sure thing
2: um so two very different questions my one of my, my so yeah. my favorite item was a like if you like it was sentient but not like sapient i guess if you like if that is meaningful to you but like it was a, a frog uh with like that you had to feed in order to get items out of it sort of like a bag of holding kind of thing but it, it, wow. like, it did not speak or anything um but like <laughs> how, do you, how do you prepare like how how long do i prepare like yeah like Maybe like an hour or so. It it depends on like if I need to make maps or not. If I'm playing on roll twenty, like do I need to make maps? Sure. Like do I need to make the tokens? Like how much? Like are they going to like a new city that I need to sort of like plot out some details for? Like re- really depends.
4: For us, we mm-hmm. haven't really had many sentient items. Sentient um one was a tree, I guess, and people just abused that poor tree. <laughs> um, as far as as preparation i have a very skewed perception of what it takes to prep because i watched john and he over prepares for everything that's kind of his thing so yeah i have no idea
3: (laughs) um there was a sword a long sword i don't remember the name of it it's actually a legit item from wizards um that was in a recent mini quest that i ran with uh my players that i really enjoyed because it was, uh, it, it was one of those things where I was trying to drink the, the souls of people. So I was just trying to tell everyone to, uh, to kill, 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 and it ended up in the hands of our rogue, and our rogue happens to be this very polite little individual. Um, and she would just basically tell this evil entity that's eons old to kindly shut the fuck up. Um, Black Razor? So that... Yes, that's the one. <laughs> yep. Black Razor. Thank you. Um, so that, that was fun in terms of prepping it. It really depends. Like, obviously if I'm doing a homebrew campaign, I'll do a lot more prep, but, um, for the most part, I like to just kind of read through the material if I'm running a module and just kind of get an idea of the flavor of it. But I have found that my most successful sessions are the ones where i just go with the flow in the moment and don't try to remember everything that i've read and everything that i've prepped because those i always feel are are stunted and they don't work out as well for me so i just kind of make it up as i go and hope that i remember what i bs'd for the next time
2: <laughs> yeah reading in advance like trying to remember it all can be really like stultifying when you're trying to like to, to improvise like you can it can sort of like hold you back if you're like if you're really stuck to a particular to particular details or like in court like remembering all the details at once like when i feel like when i'm improvising i'm more engaged and like i'm like like paying attention and sort of like reciprocating the energy that i'm getting back and like that increase that improves engagement how about you shane um
1: yeah i mean i'm an over preparer
3: but i am totally like like uh, i'm a big proponent of um having all of the information internalized so that you don't have to think about it when you're doing it. So if I haven't internalized it by the time I'm running the session, then I'm not going to worry about it. It's basically my angle.
4: You know, I just, for, I totally forgot about like a key sentient item that just became part of me. Um, like, like it was so good. Sorry, just a second. I'm picking up a prescription.
6: Oh, okay. uh. Maybe I shouldn't have started trying to DM with Ten Towns, like when I have memory issues and can't remember. Always you're, run down.
3: Your first game that you're DMing is Rhyme.
6: That's what I was trying to yeah. do. Yeah, that's pretty.
3: pretty it's ambitious, I'll tell you that. I've just finished running it twice. I'm actually the live stream that I would normally be hopping off of to run tonight, but we're, we've uh, canceled for a player issue tonight. Um, is Rhyme, and it's. Um, It's a lot. And my recommendation for Rhyme, not to get too far off the topic, is to uh is to take a look on DMs Guild. There's some great supplements on there that kind of try to tie the three storylines together a bit better. Um was super helpful to me. And the other thing that I've I've learned embarrassingly recently, considering I've been DMing for over 20 years, is when you're running a module, nobody's gonna yell at you if you ignore a chapter or two and just kind of go with it thank you
4: you, you know who's, who's a good person to talk to about rhyming uh derek uh, i don't remember his last name but he used to come into a lot of these rooms he um he plays will of the bard and he always goes to um um sorry brain, brain fart no, he goes to the to the tavern in greg's campaigns. he's he's really fun
2: My advice for prep is just use lists. Like if you like can't keep track of like the details of all the ten towns, just like make like a one page document with like the ten town names and like one fact about each town and like that'll sort of like jog your memory. Um so like you create these sort of like these semantic networks, these like sort of neural connections like related to particular ideas and you can sort of leverage that structure. You sort of give yourself the seed to sort of like to reconstruct your knowledge in the moment.
6: Yeah, part of it too for me is this stuff was a lot easier before a series of traumatic brain injuries.
2: Yeah, I don't think anybody's going to fault you for that.
4: Wow, that's impressive that you're doing that. That's really cool.
6: Well, one of the best things for you know, uh, neuroplasticity is um, trying to uh, do things you haven't done before. You know, novel, uh, novel skill acquisition. So
4: that's fantastic.
6: Thank you so much.
4: Yeah. Okay, I remembered, sorry, my, the, 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 um, sentient character, right, or sentient item is this bird, so all of my characters are themed around birds, and so I have a raven that is a machine, um, and she is a, um, she's a drone, <laughs> she, I can see through her eyes, like a, um, she is just like part of my character so like that's kind
2: of why i forgot about her she's amazing oh nice i once gave uh the party a ring of mind shielding uh that was inhabited by like an evil ice devil and that was a lot of fun too sort of like the ice devil was like like really gung-ho also like black razor like about killing things and sort of like and like convincing the convincing trying to convince the warlock to sort of like abandon or not help the party into certain situations, sort of like trying to trying to like tempt them into sort of like, yeah, like you don't need to help them at the moment. Like we can work like focus on this other thing. So like, yeah, that was its angle. It was a lot more villainous, tying into the topic of the room.
6: I haven't ha- I haven't gotten to play with a sentient item yet, but that seems like a very fun thing. I look forward to that at some point.
2: You can always do it. You never know when the next mug you touch is actually going to be like uh like a really drunk mimic like because people keep pouring beer in it or something
4: <laughs> and you yeah, can so... find a what do you call it the the guys that that build things oh, i forgot we have one at our party a artificer Artificer, that's the word Find an artificer and and like inject some magical something <laughs> maybe a druid and an artificer can make something cool and and Simbi,
2: er, oh, all right y'all i'm gonna go thanks for the chat but i gotta eat dinner
3: thank you for joining us it's been a pleasure
2: yep thanks everyone bye bye
3: take care so did anyone else have anything villainous or about villains they uh had questions about had comments about is
6: yeah um when is a villain too evil Ooh.
4: we Depends this on the earlier ton- Oh, sorry. When a villain. Um, oh. I was sorry. We discussed this earlier. When a villain uh, uh, sends people instead of death to a, a, a lifetime of. of No. Uh, oh. Filling out TPS reports.
3: <laughs> yeah. When you get locked in a cubicle doing pa- mindless drone paperwork for the rest of your life. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I would say it really apology. depends on the tone kind of your. Uh, it depends on the tone of the story you're telling, um, because there are like there are times when you can go super campy comic book villain, where like you could go as evil as evil could be, but as long as the tone of your story is that way, then yeah, that's that's great. Um, but if you're telling kind of a more um, standard story, more like a, a epic fantasy story. And you go too far on the the evil, uh, it, it can get a little bit. I don't want to say traumatizing, but like I, I think you don't want to go into full blown, you know, things that could trigger people when you're doing it in a more serious tone than if you're doing it very um, comic booky, very uh, campy.
6: Should the should the big bad be as smart as you are?
3: By you are do you mean as smart as the players are, or as smart as the DM is?
6: As smart as the DM is. Um
3: I don't think so, no. Uh because that that introduces kind of metagaming into it. Um but I again I guess it depends, like if it's if it's a demi deity or something like that, then maybe. But um I, I think there should always be in world explanations for the evil and for the, the intelligence rather than um just the fact that oh yeah, no, he knows this, because, you know, I do. Yeah, it feels like <clears throat> that could be pretty easily, or not easily, but uh, the way I address villains typically is just by giving them really clear motivations and then you just bind everything to that motivation. So, um, And they ha- have a lot of information, but yeah, they, if they had as much information as the
6: DM did, that would be... They they would never lose.
4: <laughs> it would be impossible to lose. Right. You know, I think a lot On MetList,
6: having are... all the information that, that you have but, and more like are there times when you would make a choice le- that's uh, less smart than than you would make because you know for the you know for your villain so that the uh, the party can win? Um,
3: I can feel that. I, 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 go ahead. I was going to say I sometimes wish my villains were a little bit smarter than I am in the moment because. So, for example, I was running a, a one shot a couple of oh geez, this is a couple months ago now and um, I, one of my players kept counterspelling me when I was trying to do stuff, but I was trying to juggle too many other things. And then afterwards, he came up to me, my player came up to me, and he said to me, he's like, so I didn't want to say anything, but did your big bad have counterspell? Because you can counterspell, counterspell. I was like, oh my God, I've been doing this for far too long to forget that. And I just, in the moment, completely blanked on it, and uh, it, it turned an epic fight into not as epic as I was hoping. So, yeah, at times I wish my big bad were smarter than me.
4: Going back to uh, how evil things are, I, I like to think a lot about Game of Thrones and, like, just, like, how they almost broke that. They came so close to breaking that so many times. And even if you think about it, some of the people um, would think that they did break that. They did make some of the situations just too evil. I mean, it's all about contrasts.
6: Yeah, I mean that was definitely too much for some people, especially some of the torture stuff.
4: Yeah, I mean, just knowing your people, like if they're not going to go in for um, killing an orphanage of, of babies, then maybe you probably shouldn't do that for them.
3: It's true. I have a special group.
6: Yeah i i I was listening to that. I also would find I would also find it difficult if I found that I had. You know, been forced to kill children or innocents, and like I didn't really have a, a realistic way to avoid or, or, you know, to know or avoid that situation.
3: Sure. And I, I just would like to uh, put a disclaimer out on that. So, this is a group that uh, I, that my, that has been running for a few years in person, but I've known the DM for over a decade, and the other player at the time was uh, the DM's brother, so he knew us extraordinarily well. Um, I do not recommend those type of story points ever. Um, Believe me, I wasn't
4: trying to call you out. I was just saying, like...
3: like No, I know. know. I just wanted to make sure that... I, I just don't want to make sure that nobody was uncomfortable by that story.
4: No.
6: No, I mean if your group's up for it, that's fine.
4: But the um Oh man. It's like my character Lark always the when she sees a group of children, like she always ends up going and playing with them and they're, like forgetting what she's doing. So like if Lark if Lark had been part of that group, it would have been enough to like flip her and change her into a different class or something to make her evil or, you know, something like that too. I think it's just, like, knowing you're playing your character arcs, maybe? Like, Mm -hmm. what's what's really going to fit in there? Like, there's one character in one of our games who is actually... So she's a madam, and she, like, is a demon. And she... Every time we go to a new town, she does this really awkward thing where she, like, she wants to go help all the ladies that have been... um, Uh, put in the family way, and she has to harvest souls and stuff, and so like, Lark, my character, tries to ignore and avoid her at all costs, because like, she can't handle that, and, like even to this point, like she still doesn't quite know what she's doing, you know, and so like, I think that if she was forced in the same room, with her as she was doing that, there could have it could have like really been a way to shift a bunch of things. Really weird.
6: So that's a character that's on the party?
4: Yeah, it's another it's another character in the party. Um I mean, that situation, like I think it's just getting feedback from your, your characters after the after the game. Like there's just I don't think you're ever going to actually be able to foresee that, you know? Like you can put them in all these circumstances and everything, but just knowing where everybody is comfortable and asking if that was too much or
3: too little or what. Yeah. And that kind of uh, just kind of brings it to, um, again, not to get too far off topic, but in terms of anything with villains, because, because classically villains, they're they're villains for a reason. Like they do horrible, horrible things. Um, I have found it more and more important, even with my, my general group of friends who I know them extremely well, I always like to just say at the beginning of, of sessions or stuff. So I'm like, Hey, if I ever come near a line that you suddenly find yourself uncomfortable with, or if I cross that line, like don't, don't hesitate to call me out on it in the moment. Cause at the end of the day, we're playing a game. Um, so I think that's, that's when you can tell, I mean, obviously you want to plan for it in advance, but as long as you set up with the party, uh, with your players an expectation that, Hey, if my villain does something too villainous for the game table, just, just call me out on it, and we'll we'll pivot right then and there. Then it's a safe way of making sure that you can make your villains hateable without making your party uncomfortable.
4: <laughs> I was just thinking, what would my safe word be? I Maybe mean, Venusnipple. <laughs> That's not a bad idea, though. Setting up a safe my word. My safe
6: word is tarasque
4: like during the game you get five dms of wiener schnitzel then maybe that's something you should change
3: (laughs) (laughs) and that's the nice thing about um either playing online or just the fact that my my usual in-person group all have my contact information is that somebody can just text me or direct message me in the middle of it and nobody else has to know why all of a sudden i pivoted it's, it's a completely just like, nope, someone in the party was uncomfortable. It doesn't matter who, doesn't matter why, we're just going to move on. Um, I actually came across it recently with my, my Friday group, but I didn't expect it to because one of the things about Rime of the Frostmaiden is that it is a survival horror style game where some pretty awful things happen to the people around the players, um, including human sacrifice and just freezing to death and starvation and all of that. And I reached a story point that my players were completely not comfortable with. And I did not see it coming from a mile away. And so I was just like, okay, all right, cool. Let's just skip over this part. We'll do a different little story beat tonight. We'll do like a quick combat or something to kind of cleanse the palate. And then we're just going to wrap for tonight. And we will uh, we'll come back at it again next week. Um, so you're never going to know always what's going to be that. Too far for your players but you can get a good idea for it
4: i think this is a really good topic for a future room i have to tell that to john
3: i will uh, actually bring it up in teams right now
4: like player management like safe words and you know going too far yeah
3: (laughs) yeah especially in an era where we are playing with more and more people um that we may not know, like, especially me, I, you know, I, I pro DM for, uh, for mastermind here. And so I'm constantly playing with players who I've never met before. So I have to make it very clear that it's a safe, not to use the, the cliche, but it's a safe space where like, you can just, just stop me if I go too far. And it, it almost never happens. Um, but knowing that you can stop a story if it hits something too close to home is, is really important.
6: I can center on the table.
4: Yep. Makes total sense that a conversation about a baddie would lead to this part. (laughs) Sure. So speaking of a different kind of evil, how how often do you guys use music in your games?
3: Not as often as I would like. (laughs)
4: That's a tricky one. Sometimes you get like visceral responses from people with music.
3: Uh, i I run out of bandwidth um to to make sure that a playlist is is going and you know changing for per the mood that i that I'm telling um when I'm playing but i try to keep something going especially like in my, my live stream i try to keep something going um although I'm failing recently because I'm on a temporary computer um but i i think it can add a lot uh, a lot of the time um when we're when we're playing, at the very least, when combat happens, we'll um we'll turn on some music for combat, kind of amp up the uh, the feeling there.
4: Love that, you know, this gets more senses going on in there. Love that. But like, um, some people would bring, like, for one of one of our campaigns a long time ago, we ended up there was like someone had a whole like musical inspired uh in uh, campaign. And they were, like, eight-minute musical numbers, like, we had to sit through. <laughs> so, like, a hmm. different kind of, of, I don't know, you get a visceral response to music.
3: Yeah, and I, I mean, personally, I, I don't listen to all that much music in my everyday life. So I can see how you can cross the line in the other direction, I guess. Um but I think it can add to the ambiance.
4: Definitely. That reminds me. I have a subscription to the, uh,
3: You're you're cutting out pretty bad right now, are you uh
4: media um sorry. I just got back on my home Wi-Fi. Is this better? It is, yes. Okay, cool. Yeah, um, it just reminds me I have a musical a music subscription on this one of these media sites, like Envato. I should share it with John so he can uh, have some environmental music. Hmm.
3: Nice. Uh, one of my favorite tools to use, um, especially for online stuff, although they do have uh, interfaces for doing it in person too, is uh, Sirenscape. Um, I I especially love Sirenscape because when I'm playing on fantasy grounds, it will, there's a plugin that ties right into it. So if they get like a critical hit, there will be a noise. If there's a critical failure, there'll be a different noise. If a fireball goes off, you hear a fireball. Um, so that's like sound effects, but then there's also Sire, uh, um, soundscapes for, for music as well. And they've, they've given permission for people to use them even in streaming, so I thought that was really cool.
4: That is really cool. (laughs) Okay, total side note has nothing to do with the conversation, but did you guys see Metallica get DMCA'd on their Twitch (laughs) stream? They were playing live, and their music got DMCA'd while they were playing live. (laughs) Wow.
6: Wait, what happened?
4: So it was a Twitch, a uh, virtual Twitch conference, conference on Twitch, and uh, Metallica <laughs> was playing live on the conference, and Twitch's software ended up, like, muting them and replacing them with, like, some elevator music. It was so funny.
3: That's amazing.
4: <laughs> Sorry, totally disrailed the conversation there.
3: <laughs> You're good.
6: Wait, so the software was like, that's Metallica music, you can't play
3: it?
4: Yeah, Metallica was the one Correct. that started all of that DMCA stuff a long time ago. With uh,
3: Oh, Napster. I didn't know that.
4: Yeah, with Napster, like Metallica was the one that uh. started all of that. And so it was just really funny to see them come full
7: circle. Oh my god, I'm so excited you just said that. <laughs> <laughs> I am a child of the 90s and a frequent user of Napster. And so I'm like, Napster, bad, fire, bad. Fire, Fuck like, <laughs> ah, you, Metallica. You remember that, right? Absolutely. Hey, Mel.
6: <laughs> I was wondering when you were going to come up and join us.
7: <laughs> I'm sorry. I had some other stuff. And then you all like, blah, blah, Metallica. And I'm like, and now you got me.
6: <laughs> Good job, Brie. Did
7: what? Thanks, Brie. That's hilarious. What'd
4: you say, Michael?
6: I said good job luring Mel into the conversation.
7: Happy to talk
4: about I wanna talk about villains. Themselves. Oh sorry. Oh yeah, total total villain Metallica. Even though like I'm probably the reason why
7: they started that conversation, because I downloaded like
4: all Metallica on Napster.
7: So I worked for an internet service provider back before we even thought about things like firewalls and in the internet service provider we downloaded music on Napster and from LimeWire to put on <laughs> our ISP computers at work and listen to like That's funny. It was a whole thing.
3: <laughs> so who who is your favorite villain in a campaign?
7: Uh well I am very 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 new And, uh, I've only really played homebrews. So my favorite villain to campaign, (sighs) I was playing a really good homebrew that, uh, ended up ending because of the external life forces and, uh, the DM was the best villain, and I still have no idea where it was going. Um, I saw that you <laughs> had Shane and Chris in here earlier, and they were both also in the same campaign. And uh, it started out with, I think there was something like 8 to 12 of us in different places <laughs> across the U.S. Um, in the game, in in game. And we were one-on-one with the DM, slowly making our way to meet up and uh so he was a complete mind screw um in like the best way possible but like when last we played um one of the the players had been tricked into murdering a mayor of a nearby town and then realized that the mayor she was working for had like some kind of. I still don't know what this person was because we never found out. But like, she was being really psychically haunted by a uh, orc, something, and then Bye. she got. And then she was in this like facility, and she was trying to escape. And there, it like like a mental facility, and she's trying to escape, and then she got out. And then she woke up, and her head was shaved, and she was trapped in this faci- Like, it was a complete... He was the best villain ever.
4: <laughs> nice. Um,
7: Nice. I mean, but he wasn't the villain. He was the storyteller. We still don't know who the villain was, because we never got there.
3: Hopefully uh, we can get back to it someday, or does it seem <laughs> like it's done and done? No,
7: no. It's it's done. The DM mm. is unable to continue for life reasons. Got it. Aw. Uh-huh. It's... It was a little heartbreaking.
3: Well, the good news is there will always be more stories and more DMs and more villains.
7: I think I prefer anti heroes and like fun villains. I tend to like to play characters who, like, I have a fairy who's kind of twisted, and then I had a lich who was kind of nice.
6: Have you ever DMed? No.
7: I have DM'd, and I'm probably kind of terrible at it, but I really enjoy it. So I keep offering to do it, and every once in a while, people take me up on it. So I I'm like, totally cool, let's play
6: game with you." Let me know.
7: Okay, well, I'm trying to get the gang together to put on a show at some point. Uh, I'm I'm really not very good though, and I pay only the slightest of attention to official official like rules. I'm yeah, kind of by the B&D. rule. Cool. I, yeah. Yeah. Like, they're guidelines. Okay. They're guidelines. Um, and I don't know where my people are. I don't know why they're not in here. Are you about to close in two minutes?
3: Yes, we are. Yep.
7: Then never mind. I'm not pinging anybody.
3: <laughs> but we will be back next Wednesday at uh, 6 p.m. Eastern to start up another conversation. Uh, I don't think we have a, well, we might have a uh, topic uh, decided. I don't know off the top of my head. I apologize. I'm unprepared.
7: Well, I missed the beginning of this, so can we do a quick recap on some of the best villains you all have come across? I know you've got two minutes, but I missed that yeah. part.
3: Who, who wants to uh, wants to recap their favorite villain?
7: You know, I don't think I ever like explained
4: my favorite villain. Um, my favorite villain was the first in the first campaign I ever was in with my husband, and it was, um, we woke up, and there were these guys holding us hostage, and some of them had taken our blood, and so like, it was super mysterious, and we had no idea why, and no idea what to do, and so we were like, we were really discombobulated, but that circumstance was really cool. I don't know if if I've
6: really played enough to have a favorite. That's fair. Let
3: me see. What was my favorite? So I I will uh, start by having a very unpopular opinion and saying that my least favorite villain is probably Strahd. Um, I I didn't like that campaign at all. Um, But I'm an oddity in terms of that. Uh, My favorite villain was probably the one that wasn't, i guess it, he, he was an anti-hero so he was the one that i told you about that made us do that awful thing um but in the end it turned out uh there was there was a twist where they weren't actually kids uh it's really hard to explain in two minutes so i'll just preface by saying they were souls trapped in other bodies and such um and he was actually doing things for what he thought were the right reasons and at the very end uh we ended up teaming up with him very briefly before he did something bad again, and we stabbed him in the back. Um, but he was a very interesting character at least, so that's that was my favorite uh, villain.
4: you totally fixed it. I can see exactly that wife <laughs> yeah, not as bad as, as it initially presented
3: yeah it was it was Eberon it had to deal with the mornlands and everything, so like it was really hard to explain in just a couple of minutes. <laughs>
7: My favorite villain is Ursula the Sea Witch. 100% hands down. Not a TTRPG, but she's my favorite villain.
3: <laughs> nice.
7: In uh, Laura Irwin's campaign, the,
4: the one that she did that was um, like the never-ending story. So the nothing. Um, that was a really good villain.
3: Oh, wow. That goes back to my childhood.
7: Love yeah. that. And I've had periodic save. dreams. I've had periodic dreams about the racing snails and the, the rock monster with the big strong hands since I was a little girl. I love wow. I
4: love that campaign. It was so fun. And that movie. Well
6: I I often feel like that rock monster. <laughs>
3: well, is there any closing thoughts anyone has on uh, villains this evening?
4: Uh, my last thing is that the idea of the villains are scarier than the actual villains. So, um, usually, yeah, usually. <laughs> I just came what? in to say hello, Bree. Hi, Bree. Hey. Hello. hello. All
3: right. Well, uh, thank you everyone for joining us this week. We're gonna pick up another conversation next week, same time, uh, and hopefully we can keep having great conversations. Have a lovely night, everyone.
7: As you say in my club, bye, nerds. Huh. <laughs>
1: Thanks,
3: nice.
4: guys.
7: It's
1: been a pleasure. Thank you.
7: Bye.